Now then, you'll remember last week as I was finishing up our, our um, study about uh, um, the I am statements and stuff in scripture and stuff like that. I mentioned that one time in the future, sometime in the future, we'll talk about the armor of God. I had no plans of talking about it any time soon. I didn't. I just said it's a great sermon series to walk through. It's important for us as believers. Um, but I didn't have that as a plan. I, I was thinking like in the new year. You know, I've got October and then November and December and stuff, and I've got plans for those months. So in the new year, I'll talk about the armor of God. And on Tuesday, as I was sitting in the office, and I'm going, all right, God, this week I don't really have a plan yet. I had other series and stuff like that planned, but I was like, I don't really have a plan for this one yet. Um, what, 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 are you, what are you thinking, God? And... Um, I was studying for this, the, the message for our youth group, which was past Wednesday, and we're talking about the armor of God there. And the kids' church was talking about the armor of God all the past few months. And as, I'm, as I'm, I was doing some study for that one, I just felt, and you'll understand this, you just feel the Holy Spirit going, that's what you're supposed to talk about. That's what you're supposed to talk about. And I'm like, I told him I would do it eventually, God. I need, I need to talk about something else. And he went, no, that's what you need to talk about. So that's what we're going to talk about. We are going to embark on roughly a six-week stretch where we're going to talk about the individual pieces of the armor of God, okay? Which is going to take us pretty much up to our Thanksgiving thing because God's got a sense of humor and he's got stuff figured out. Now, the armor of God is initially found in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, okay? That's where we read about the armor of God, all the pieces. I am not going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 very much because I'm going to talk about each individual piece and the scriptures that align with that one. And today we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. Now the helmet, of course, number one are your note sheets. I know I usually read scripture first, but let me... Let me uh, Let's do number one first, because that's not actually a scriptural thing. It's a historical thing. What type of helmet? If you grabbed a bulletin and you've got a note sheet, what type of helmet? I should have put a picture in the PowerPoint, um, but I didn't. A lot of the, of the people that lived back in the time when Paul was writing, remember this is the early A.D. period. You're looking somewhere between like 50 and 80 A.D. in that time range. Okay, a little earlier than that, but that time range. Most people would wear a leather helmet that would really offer no real protection to your head. But Paul was not just any person. Paul was a Roman citizen. And what soldier was the height of military technology in that day? The Roman. And what the Romans would wear, and the picture that the people would have had as Paul is writing this and they're reading it, is the picture of a helmet that covers literally your full head. If you've ever seen movies like... Um, Oh, I just had one in mind. My brain just went. Ben-Hur, that's a great one. I love, there's one with Russell Crowe. Gladiator, thank you. Not historically accurate. It's not, it's not a movie you should look at and go, oh, wow, that is a, that's what Roman life was like. No. Great movie. But you see, you watch any of those types of movies. You see the helmets, and right, they'll have the big plumage or whatever. But don't, I don't care about that. It's the helmet itself, which would have been made out of metal, it protected the full head. It protected your ears as well. It would have flaps that came down and protected your ears. And it would have a, a, a piece in the back that would come down and protect all the way down to about here to protect the back of your neck so that if somebody swung behind you, the back of your neck was protected. It also had a visor, much like we would think of in medieval times, but not quite as large, 
that you could pull down to cover your eyes. They've done tests and things like that. Most Roman soldiers that would have been hit in the head with the average weapon, we're not talking about if somebody like, you know, catapulted something at them um, and stuff like that, but the average weapon, if they were hit in the head, they'd have a nasty concussion, that is it. They would survive. That helmet protected the head better than anything besides modern technology. And that's the type of helmet that Paul is talking about here. And he, he makes the helmet of salvation. Salvation protects your mind. Let's talk about it. Number two on your note sheets. Let's actually get into it. Why the mind? Why the mind? I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. They're up there. By the way, Andy, I hope you're ready because there's a bunch of scriptures. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 reads, But since we, are, uh, since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In Ephesians, when he's writing, he just calls it the helmet of salvation. Here he terms it the hope of salvation. That's a key important thing. Because, see, what happens is the helmet protects your mind from the lies of Satan. It is not your first defense. Eventually, we'll talk about the shield of faith, which is your first defense. But the helmet protects your mind. Church, the mind is the most powerful thing God ever created for a human. It is more powerful than anything we could ever create. You might say, Pastor Sam, my mind can't do what a calculator can do. You're right, neither can mine. Your mind is still infinitely more incredible than any computer that will ever be created. It is still infinitely better. It controls everything. I mean, think about this. Your mind is what sends you your, re your, your, your reflexes and such. Everybody do me a favor, if you're able. Put your hand in the air. Okay, all right. Think about closing a fist. Not do it, think about it. Think about it. Does your fist close if you think about it? Good, now close your fist. You didn't have to think about that, did you? And yet your brain, you can put your hands down, and yet your brain fired tons of neurons and other things to send the signal from here all the way through the nerves and muscles down your neck, through your arm, to your fingers that said, close. But I don't have to think about it. And in fact, if I just think about it, if I think hand open, it does not do it, but I can just open it. Your brain... Most of you, most of the time, do not think about breathing. Now that I've said it, you're like, yes, I do. But 95% of your day, you do, and that includes the night while you're sleeping, you don't think about needing to breathe. Why? Because your brain tells your body to breathe, and you don't have to think about it. Your brain is an incredible thing, and it can think. And God gave us this ability to think and to reason. I love, all of you in here know me, I love to debate things. I love to be, I, I, somebody asked me a question, uh, a friend of mine asked me a question the other day, and I said, well, if we know X, Y, and Z is true, logically it leads that ABC is going to be true because it's the same idea. And the, it's one of my sister's best friends, and she goes, I didn't think about it that way. And I went, well, I'm a logical thinker. That's how I think. It gets me in trouble sometimes, uh, but that's how I think. Satan knows that about you. He knows that your mind... 
if you are starting to feel like you're going to throw up, I don't mean you've got a stomach bug, right? But if you're, start, if you're like, if you feel a little nauseous and you're like, oh, I'm going to puke. I'm going to puke. It's going to come up. The odds of it happening are extremely high. However, if you feel like you're going to puke, you're a little nauseous, and again, we're putting aside you're actually sick, and you say, I'm not doing it, the odds of you puking are extremely low because your brain has power over the rest of your body. It is the central circuit. It is the central thing of the rest of your body. It controls everything. And so Satan knows that. And so he knows there are two major battlefields when it comes to you and I. Next week we'll talk about the second one. The heart and the brain. And if he can win in either of those places, he has beaten you. He has beaten you. Yesterday, um, I was, um, most of you know, I've struggled with depression most of my life. And yesterday afternoon, I just... It was rainy, it was overcast, I was tired, my wife had been gone for a while and I was missing her and I was like, oh, I'm so sad. I went and got steak and that made it better. <laughs> no, um, what did make it better though, I started listening to music. I love music, you guys all know that. And I love Mercy Me, they're my second favorite band, although I have to say that their newest album Always Only Jesus, might be my favorite album ever. And they have a song on there called Better Days Coming. And that song is beautiful because Bart Mallard, who writes it, does not promise the better days are coming now, just that better days are coming. And in the bridge, the bridge is beautiful. He writes, if it's not good, it's not over yet. I promise it's not the end. And as I was driving to Rob's Market, because I needed to get some other stuff, that song started playing, and I went, you're right, God. There's better days coming. My mind was under attack yesterday. And quite frankly, church, Satan was winning. Because I was not using the helmet to block him out. So how does that all play in then? How does that all play in then? There might be better days coming, but if I'm not assured of them, who, what does it matter? John 10, 27 through 29 says this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know what those three verses are telling you? Eternal security is a thing, and the moment you give your heart to Jesus, it is his. And there is not a thing on earth, for I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's in Romans chapter 8 verse 39 church there is not a thing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God and that is the helmet that you put on when Satan hurls things at you and you say no I am his and it doesn't matter what you throw at me I am saved not because of me I am saved because of the power of Christ alone notice I said there's not a thing in creation that could do it because quite frankly God doesn't have to hold on to you he doesn't the beautiful thing is, 
chooses to. He doesn't have to hold on to you and I. He doesn't. And in fact, he shouldn't. The moment when you are two, three, four years old and you knock something off your, your, your little, you know, your table thing and your parent picks it back up and puts it on there and they look at you and you say, you don't do that. And you look them in the eye and you knock that thing off again. That's called disobedience and that's a sin and you belong in hell. Pastor, I'm only three years old. I do not care. You have sinned of your own accord. And the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. Not physical death. Spiritual death. God doesn't have to hold on to us. He chooses to. You can't be snatched away from him and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why is that so important for your mind? Because your mind is fickle and so is mine. I got saved when I was five or six years old. I was at my mom, mom, and pop pop's house. That's what we called Carrie's, my biological mother. That's what we called her parents. And I got out of bed, and I went into my parents' room, and I said, I want to be a Christian. And they prayed with me, and I prayed with them, and gave my heart to Jesus that day. And over the past 22 to 23-ish years, give or take, there have been multiple times where I have said, God, I'm angry with you. I'm walking away. I believe in you. I'm not saying you don't exist. I'm not saying Christ didn't die for my sins. But I'm mad at you. And I don't really want anything to do with you right now. Right? We do that to people. We, of course, do it to God. I was 16 years old. Actually, that's not true. I was 14 years old when I felt God put a call on my life to go be a pastor. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be a history teacher. That's what I want to do. I love facts. I love history. I love talking to people when they have to listen to me. And God's, I still do. God was very nice to me. I still do. Amen. <laughs> and God said, I don't care. And he kept, it was at a youth camp, my youth camp, and he kept going, he kept going, he kept going. And at 16 years old, two years later, I said, fine, God, and I got baptized. And it is that day, not that I got saved, but that day when I said, okay, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Fast forward, and there have been multiple times, even since then, in the 12 or so years since then, that I have not been holy God's. And every time that happens, every time I sin, every time I'm not as, you know, I hate mornings. It's a chore for me to get up and do devotions in the morning. I don't deny it. If you are somebody who's like, boy, I love getting up in the morning and spending time with God. Good for you. I'm very happy for you. I truly am. That's not me. It's not that I don't like spending time with God. It's that I don't like the morning. And by the time that the afternoon and evening has rolled around, I'm doing other stuff and I'm tired. I have to force myself in the morning to do devotions. I do. I'm not perfect. And every single time that I'm not perfect, Satan throws it back in my face. Not at my heart. He throws it back at my mind. Sam, you're not good enough. Don't even bother talking to God about this. There's no point. He's not going to listen to you anyway. You aren't deserving, you aren't this, you aren't that, you are this. 
And every morning I have to wake up and put on the helmet of salvation and say, Satan, you are right. I'm not perfect. You are wrong. God wants to hear from me. Church, when we sin, there is no better place to go. It's like going to your parent. Yes, there's probably going to be discipline involved. One, get it over with now. Because it's going to be worse the longer you wait. And two, I'm not a parent, but I know because I've talked to many parents, including my own, that when you go to them, they would much rather help and deal with it now before it gets too big. They would much rather have reconciliation now. That's how God is. And when Satan throws those things at me, you have to put on the helmet of salvation daily. The armor of God, by the way, the armor of God is not something you put on once and it stays on. You're probably going to have to put it on multiple times throughout the day, quite frankly. The helmet protects your mind from Satan. The hope of salvation, the hope that nothing can separate me from him and that there are better days coming. When he returns or calls me home, either way, I've got better things coming. And there is nothing in this life. Paul says this, right? I do not count the current tribulations of this life when compared to the blessings that are to come. And that is what the helmet of salvation does for you. Let's apply this to our lives, shall we? And I did put in a practical one this week because I forgot to last week. First off, church, know what Christ has done. Know it. How many times do I tell you, you've got to know this book? You've got to know it. It is so incredibly important. It is the number one thing you can do in this life is know after becoming a Christian, right? Putting aside accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. After that, you've got to know what he says. Understand as best as you can what Christ has done for you. I understand it doesn't make sense. As Jan would say, it's an upside-down religion. God should not accept us into his fold. He does because of what Christ did. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Know what Christ did for you because Satan sure does. In the Garden of Eden, did he outright lie to Eve? No, he did not. He twisted God's words. There was still some truth in it because Eve and Adam did not die the moment they ate of the fruit. They died spiritually. They did not die physically, which is what Adam and Eve were thinking was going to happen. He twisted God's words. You have to know what this book says, because by golly, he does, and he knows how to use it to defeat you. You need to know how to use it to defeat him. Here's your practical for today. Here's your practical for today. Do something physical to remind you of your salvation. What do I mean by that? There is a, how many of you, I already asked this the one week. They make gardening stake sort of things that are green, most of them, that you can hang like fencing on, right? I took one of those one day when I was like 16, 17 years old. I'd had enough. I like to hike. How many of you guys like to hike? Love to hike. Love it. Most of you don't. You're missing out. Actually, you're not. Don't start hiking, especially in the places that I hike. Jason and Virginia aren't here. They'd have raised their hands. I took it, and I walked out back of my parents' property. 
I couldn't even necessarily find it anymore. I would, if I searched for it, I could find it. Um, but I walked probably a half a mile up, up the hill and back down a little bit. They don't own all that property, but we happen to know the person who does, and he doesn't care. Um, and I took a hammer with me, and I took that stake, and I somehow found a piece of ground that doesn't have bedrock three inches underneath the dirt, and I drove that stake into that ground. And anytime Satan throws something in my face, I think back to that stake, and I say, no, no, I'm Christ's. Because salvation is a metaphysical thing. You can't hold salvation in your hands. Right, we talk about it in, that, in those sorts of phrases, but you can't hold salvation. You can't. Just like you can't hold love, you can't hold joy, you can't hold those sorts of things physically. But we are physical beings. And so it's helpful to do a physical thing. Let me give you a couple of, of, of ideas of what you can do. You can drive a stake in the ground like I did. Roughly three to four, well, it's probably three and a half to four years ago now, yeah. I was talking to my grandma about this. We were sitting in the parking lot at Dollar General while Maddie was in the Dollar General picking something up. I don't know what. It was so weird that my relationship with my grandma changed. I went from just being her grandson to being her pastor, and she started telling me stuff that I'm like, what the heck? I don't want to hear this stuff. You're just, you're just grandma. Tom, go talk, go talk to another pastor. No. Um, I loved the fact that I was able to have deep biblical theological conversations with her and that she would ask me questions and stuff like that. I, I, I loved it, and quite frankly, I miss it. Um, but either way, she was asking me about this sort of stuff, and I told her, I said, I, I told her to do this, and I said, you don't have to drive a stake in the ground. Get a ring, wear it. Get a bracelet, wear it. Get a necklace, wear it. Most of you in here knew my grandma. She loved her jewelry. A lot of it wasn't actually real jewelry, but she didn't care. She loved it all. So that's why I told her about that. Get a watch. Maybe you're into art. Paint something. Maybe you're a writer. Write something. God made each of us differently and individually. Do what is what God made you to do for it. To remind yourself of a physical thing, that when Satan starts hurling things at you, you can say, no, no, I am his and he is mine. Like we sang, boy, we sang about a lot of stuff today. I am his and he is mine. And I have this token, carry a coin around in your pocket, right, whatever. I have this token to remind myself, one, to put on the helmet of salvation, and two, of the hope. I have one other application for you today that I didn't write down because I just thought of it now. God just put it in there, so I'm going to tell you it. How often do you think about heaven? Because you should do it every day. Because the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, that is your only hope. This world is dark, it is evil. It is. This world is hard. Your life is hard, maybe. Maybe you've got a good, cushy life. If you do, congratulations. Actually, not congratulations, because if you have a good, cushy life, it probably means you're not living for God the way that you should, because Satan doesn't let people who are living for God have good, cushy lives. That's the way it works. 
Now, just because your life is not good and cushy does not also necessarily mean you're living for God because God also sometimes is like, hey, you're not living for me, so I'm going to drive you back to me. That's a whole other sermon. When you are down, when you are dealing with the trials and tribulations of this life, think on heaven. You don't have to go, you know, like, like, my, my, like my brother, right, who's going to have his, his house underwater and this, that, and the other thing, right? You don't have to think about that. But remind yourself, this is not the end. This isn't the end. If you are not standing face to face with the author and perfecter of your faith, it is not yet the end. And take hope and rest in assurance in that, that no matter how bad it gets here for you, no matter how bad it gets here for anyone, no matter what Hamas does, no matter what Russia does, no matter what anybody else does, this isn't the end. We have a home. The Bible says to pray for that home, that we come get there quickly. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. My fit, mm, hang on. It's not, it's not up there because I wasn't planning on this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And John responds, Amen, let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. That should be your prayer every day. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Until you do, you've got work for me to do, and I'll put on the helmet and the rest of the armor, but come, Lord Jesus. That hope of salvation is what keeps our minds safe from the fiery darts of Satan. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the armor of God as we're going to talk about each of these pieces that protect a very specific part or enable us to do a very specific thing as we're going to talk about when we get to the shoes and such. I thank you that you knew that while our mind is so powerful because you created it, it is also very weak. It is susceptible to Satan. It is susceptible to myself. It is susceptible to the attacks, and I need to protect it. And I can't do it, but you gave us the helmet to put on. Father, I ask for each and every one of us that hears this, that when Satan starts throwing the things at us, that you would remind us of the hope of our salvation and the home to which you are preparing for us even now. The home to which that one day you will either call us to through death or through the rapture, but you will call us to it. And I pray that you would help us to take joy and gladness in that. I praise you, Father. Give us all a blessed week. Bring us back here next week. Uh, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.